God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey everyone, this is Jason. I just want to come on and say a quick word of thanks to the following people. Angie Hornbuckle, Bo Hoffman, Bill Carr, Bruce Porter, Seth Price, Danielle Nagel, Eric Howell, Glenn Seipert, Joshua Lawson, Kaylin D'Elia, Carrie Pruitt, Kim Johnson, Kyle Butler, Steve Austin, Tiffany Wright, Tim Nixon, William Alomar. These are our superstar patrons over on Patreon that help make this podcast happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We could not do what we do without you. You help us pay the bills, keep all the expenses covered to keep this podcast going, and you help me dedicate time towards writing and being a creative force. So thank you so much for allowing me to do what I do. I couldn't do it without you. If you have not become a patron yet on Patreon, please go to patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes and sign up today. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month and you get some perks in exchange for your support. Thank you so much. Now on to this week's episode. Welcome in everyone. My guest today is Doug Stewart. Doug is a certified Dale Carnegie instructor, TEDx presenter, coach, and storyteller. He hosts a podcast about exploring spiritual topics while maintaining intellectual integrity. His podcast is called I Am Not Your Pastor. I love that name, and I can't wait to talk to him about it. Doug lives in Raleigh, North Carolina with his wife and children. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Doug Stewart. Jason, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Man, I'm really excited to have you on today. I've been following you online uh, since Bob Hutchins hooked us up, yeah, and I'm just fascinated by your work and your podcast and what you do. So help us get to know you a little bit better. Tell us who you are and where you're from. So I'm, I'm from North Carolina, born and raised. I, I grew up in a very, very small town and have been fortunate enough through my coaching practice to be able to meet uh, lots of people that aren't from my very small town that has been really enriching for me and in my perspective on the world. I have two kids. I have a one-year-old boy who's teaching me a lot about life and an eight-year-old girl who has been teaching me a lot about life and continues. And my wife and I are celebrating our 12th year wedding anniversary this month. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Were you raised in church? I was. I was. I, I think... Before the time I was 12, I was in probably 10 different denominations, <laughs> you know, going to going to preschool at the Presbyterian Church and going to VBS at the Methodist Church and attending a Southern Baptist school and having some, some friends that were Pentecostal. And it was interesting how much denominational diversity, is that, if that's a word, um, existed in my little small town. But yeah, I, I, I saw... A lot of it <laughs> as a kid, and that's that's all there ever, ever was. I don't know that I knew anyone who would say they weren't a Christian until I was maybe in middle school. Oh wow! Okay, so you're kind of a spiritual mutt like me. Yes, a hundred percent. Were you just like a kind of a nominal churchgoer? I mean, I know you mentioned that kind of everybody was Christian in your community. Were matters of faith and spirituality always central in your life, or was it just something you did on Sunday? I was I was always really curious about it. I was the kid in Sunday school and in Bible class that would really end up pissing off my teachers and my Sunday school teacher <laughs> because you know I wanted to know I, I wanted to know you know the questions that maybe the other kids didn't think that much about or didn't perhaps care about, and so I wanted to ask questions about you know well. If if um, God flooded the earth and Noah like 
Noah was and his family was the only one. Like, so does that mean like everybody else died and were there, were there kids and were there like, were there babies that maybe died in the flood? And those are, those are the things that when you ask that with a bunch of other seven and eight year olds to your Sunday school teacher, they kind of bristle. <laughs> so, so I was, I was that kid. That right, was, yeah. That wasn't covered in the curriculum. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't meant to. And, you know, I was the kid that would be like, man, this is a terrible kid story, <laughs> you know? And so I was always really curious. Sometimes it was because I really wanted to know. And other times it was because I wanted to be antagonistic and the, and the class clown. And I've, I've always been sort of a creative thinker. And so, yeah, I was. But I also had a family that was pretty cynical. I mean, my, my grandfather, I can remember sitting with him in church one Sunday and like the church, the pastor was preaching on something. I don't remember what it was because I was a kid not paying attention, but I can remember my grandfather leaning over to me and being like, he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know? And like, just in general, there was just a sort of a cynical nature to my family. So I grew up in this very almost legalistic, fundamentalist, evangelical Southern Baptist sort of bubble. But then I would go home and it was like, ah, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not you know, let's just kind of go along with it, you know? So I kind of was between those two worlds, which gave me a lot of creative freedom to really think for myself, which I'm really grateful for today. So how did that cynicism at home impact your faith going into your young adult years? It gave me, I think, more, it helped me more than it hurt me, honestly. I can remember when I was a kid, I was in high school, I was really bought into the fundamentalist way of seeing the Bible and God in the world. And how that related to me and my country and my world and other people. And it would really frustrate me that my my family wasn't maybe as bought in as I was or maybe committed or zealous as I was. But when I went through my, what I can only describe as, as deconstruction, I remember looking back and being really grateful that, gosh, I'm, I'm glad that I, I've seen people live life sort of straddling the fence a bit. So I knew it was a possibility and I knew it was something that I could engage with. And I knew there were some people that would probably understand what I was going through. And I wasn't on the island that I think a a lot of people are when they go through those, those tough, trying spiritual times in their lives. I definitely want to talk about that season of deconstruction in your life. Before we cover that, who did you believe God was before deconstruction? I was given a picture of God that was very strong, that was very um, wrathful, that was very temperamental, <laughs> a very love me or else sort of a God. And that that fit really well because it was it was similar to the picture I had of my own father. You know, my father was a, a working, tough, quiet, private guy that um, was the disciplinarian in our house. And so when people gave me that picture of God, it, it lined up. You know, as a kid, it made sense. Oh, so God's kind of like dad. Like, don't wake God up from his nap while he's watching football. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or it's, <laughs> yeah. or it's not good. And so that's, that's sort of the God that I, that, I, that I got. And that's the God I had to stop believing in, in in order to move on spiritually as an adult. So at what point did the spiritual ground beneath your feet start shifting? Oh, gosh. It, it really started for me my senior year of high school, which was 2003, and didn't really take root until about 2011. So it's a pretty, pretty big gap. But I went through a big breakup, you might say, with my church and my school as a senior. I was, I was, a, I was a pretty gifted basketball player in high school. 
I was, I was highly recruited. My downside was my grades were awful. And so there was a lot of schools that didn't want me, but my pastor and my coach, which was the same place, right? So I went to, in my small town, I went to the same kindergarten that I graduated high school from the, in the same, same school, right? So I was in the same place. So I was deeply rooted in this place. And that was the church we attended from the time I was, I guess, in middle school until I graduated high school. And so my pastor and my basketball coach wanted me to go to this very small Christian school because they felt like that that place would take care of me academically and make sure I get a degree. So they had pure intentions. And I didn't want to go there. I wanted to go play Division One, which Liberty University was Division One. And because of that, there was a big breakdown between the church and my family and my coach and me and my pastor and me. And so I really lost a lot of faith in the church structure and the concept of church being family. And I, and I, and I got that same feeling of love me or else, that same picture that I've got of God early, I, I experienced relationally with my church family by making a decision they didn't want me to make, it really put me on the margins, which was a completely amoral decision. You know, it's not like I was making a, even a heretical decision in their mind. It was just something they didn't want me to do. And so that sort of shook my foundation. And when I got to school, I sort of, I all but left the faith, at least the faith that I grew up in. And I just saw it as controlling and manipulative. And some of that's true. And some of it, perhaps I was, I was overdoing it a bit because I was a kid and still maturing myself. And I, I honestly, I don't think that it really took hold until I, until we had our first child, 2011, my daughter was born. That also happened to be the same time that I decided to get out of the family business. After I graduated college, I came back home and took over the family furniture business ran that business for a number of couple of years and decided I hated it and I didn't want to be in it anymore. And sort of the consensus amongst my entrepreneurial family that everyone in the family is in the same business. So if you leave the business, you sort of leave the family. And so the month my daughter was born was the same way I walked away from my business and essentially um, by proxy walked away from my family, my, my birth family. I mean, you when you're in the mud like that, um, oh, and by the way, my wife quit her job to be a stay-at-home mom. So not only did we have a bunch of relational drama going on, we also lost, gosh, 70% of our income in a 30-day period. And, and, I, and I learned something that when you're in a financial stress like that, the bank still expects you to pay your mortgage payment every single month. <laughs> <laughs> that is so annoying, isn't it? Isn't it? It's, it's, it's really, it's, it really is annoying. And so I had this thing going on and then I realized that, that I'm responsible for this new life. I don't, I don't know. I had this opinion that I've, I've watched two children, both of my kids, I watched them be born. And if that doesn't shape your view of ultimate reality and the divine, I don't know what other experience could. And for me, watching my daughter be born really changed, really changed me. And it, it, it made me decide that I want to be the best person I can actually be. And if I'm going to do that, I've got to change some things about myself psychologically, about the way I see the world, about the way I see my creator, about the way uh, the things I accept, the things I don't accept, the bloodline curses that are in my life, the pathology that I have just blindly taken on. And, I, and I've got to be more proactive with, with the way I show up in the world. And that's really what caused about 2011 is what caused me to start making some drastic changes in my belief system um, so that I would start naturally living out uh, something that resembled the gospel. 
And that was hard work. Yeah, it is. What was the first giant to fall theologically for you? The first big one to fall for me was in the inerrancy of scripture. Ooh, yeah, that's a huge one. That was that was the first and and that was really I wouldn't say that was the, that wasn't the hardest one. It was just the first one mm-hmm. because I needed somewhere to go. And I had to stop reading the Bible as a rule book. And I had to start being able and something I, I can remember writing down back in back in that time was the Bible is a poem, not a rule book. It's a piece of art. It's not a puzzle. And it's not something that like this piece equals this piece equals this piece. It's like, let's stand back and look at how beautiful this thing is and then use it to give us wisdom for our time today. And not let's just look at the page and then find blindly go do what that one thing says that is probably contradicted seven different other places right? (laughs) throughout the Bible. Right. So it was pretty easy for me to get there, but it was definitely the first thing. So what followed that? Oh gosh, I would say after after the Bible, original sin was probably right after that. I had to start looking at myself as someone who is blessed and made into the image of God, as the creation story suggests, and who was not cursed. And we can get we can get as deep as you want into that. That's that's a that's a piece that I'm really passionate about. But I, I had to have a starting point. And I had to see sin as something I did, not someone I was. And it allowed me to engage with the things that I wanted to change and the, and the, and the fruits that I wanted to bear in a more practical and realistic way. How did that play out in your life? How, how did that change the way you felt about yourself? When you stopped believing that you were inherently broken and sinful, did that kind of take some of the pressure off of you and, and let you be more of true to yourself? It didn't until it did. <laughs> And here's here's what I mean by that. I can I can remember as my as my faith started to change, I, I would hear people say things like, Doug has fallen away from from the faith. Mm. And as hurtful as that was, at some point I had to start admitting that they were right, that I no longer believed in the same God that they believed in, that I be, I didn't believe that God had the same character that they believed that God had. Right. And I had to see it as I, I, I have a different perspective and to be okay with that. And, and also the, the thing that was the hardest for me was not being self-righteous and, and going the other direction. You know, when you, when you grow up with a lot of certainty, when you have a different perspective, it's really easy to have certainty about that new perspective as well. <laughs> right. That's right. Just switching sides of fundamentalism. Yeah. That's exactly right. And and I certainly went through that season. And 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 to be quite honest with you, I think if if I really interrogated my reality, there are still areas that I that I really struggle with that. And I'm the hardest on the people that believe the way I, I used to believe. Uh, which isn't which isn't fair at all, and that's something I'm, I'm I certainly still battle with. Was there a conscious effort to rebuild something new with your faith, or was that just the natural byproduct of your deconstruction season? No, it it was something that I, you know, I, I think about it like cleaning out a closet. And I think when I when I was on Bob's podcast, we talked about this a bit. But when you clean out a closet, you don't clean it out with the purpose of it being empty. You clean it out with the purpose of it being better. Um, and being serving you better and being better for other people, right? Like being more organized, making more sense. And so when I clean, and, and the other thing is when you clean out a closet, it gets really friggin' messy before it looks better. Yeah. Um, it gets way worse. <laughs> and so I had to pull everything out 
and then put the things back that served us, meaning serve my, my community that served that, that were, that was bigger than just me, that, that, that was more of a, we way of seeing the world. And I really got there through my coaching practice. You know, I found that on a, on a weekly basis, being a Dale Carnegie coach and instructor that I was meeting with and coaching with people outside of my faith tradition, outside of any faith tradition that were from places that I had never been and grew up in cultures that I didn't understand. And being able to to start asking myself the question is, well, is this good news? Is this good news I believe in? Is this good news for them? Because I have a very strong belief that, man, if it's it's not good news for everybody, it's not really good news. Right. And the fact that it's good news for me because I'm a straight, white, American male, that doesn't hold up very long when you actually get in relationship with some people that don't look like you. Right. I love your analogy about the closet because uh, that I've got two girls. We got two girls and two boys, and the girls when they clean out their closet, man, their room is trashed for a day or two. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the mess might have been contained in the closet, but when you decide to unpack that and go through that, mm-hmm. you're going to go through the muck and the mire for a little while. And man, that is so much like deconstruction. Yeah. So, at what point did you start feeling like you know what? I think maybe I have more of a healthy spirituality now. Oh gosh, I don't know that I'm there yet. <laughs> I wish I could say that I was. I don't. I, I I do feel as though it's much healthier than it was. To be fair, yeah, I, I think that just knowing that you don't know everything is healthier than where we came from. You know, for sure. You know, I I, I feel as though I'm much better than I I was, and I'm not nearly where I will be. And in the end, if, if, there's, if there's an opportunity for me to ask a question post this lifetime, there will be an infinite amount of answers that I never even thought to ask the questions of. And so I, I, I wouldn't say that it's, I don't know, that, that's a tough one because I don't know that I would say I'm in a, I guess I am in a healthier place. I would say that I'm, a, I'm in a much healthier trajectory. I think maybe that's the language I would use because I feel as if, there are so many things that I feel like I'm discovering. It's almost like it's almost like watching my watching my one year old right now. I mean, he's he's walking, he's starting to talk a little bit, he's he's really curious and really adventurous. And I feel like I'm still at that level spiritually where things are just like blowing my mind <laughs> on a on a weekly basis. Like even the smallest of of insights are just I could talk about for hours and to say that it's, that I'm, that I'm healthy may, may, I'm, I'm careful to not say that because it might sound like I'm saying that I'm mature <laughs> spiritually. Right. And, yeah. and I feel, yeah. so, I feel so, I still feel very childlike because I, I spent so much of my life believing that I knew some stuff and I still, I mean, I still battle, I still battle that, that feeling of like, Oh no, I, I I know I'm I'm above that way of thinking. When the when the truth is 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 a lot of times I'm not. I just I'm on a better trajectory than than I was because I was flatlined for so long. Now, when you left the church of your upbringing, uh, you talked about that breakup. Did you go to another church, or was there a season where you weren't a part of a church and then you were? I think I remember hearing you talk on Bob's podcast about the fact that you attend church now. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it is. And so when I when I left high school, I I sort of stopped attending church, but I went to Liberty University, so church was mandatory. Right. Yeah, you had chapel <laughs> so, services, right? Yeah. So, so I I went against. I was <laughs> I had to go against my will, which is maybe worse than not going at all. Right. But there was certainly after college, I took a long break. I can remember my wife sitting me down and just saying, "Hey, look, I need you to be a spiritual leader or at least a spiritual participant in this family. This isn't going to work." Mm. And, and it was really hard for me because I was just dead spiritually. I just like, I was so fed up with it. And I felt like there was just so much, there was the politics and the judgment and the, the certainty and all of it just made me just sick to my stomach. Yeah. And, and, and then as I started to rebuild and come back, I can remember my wife going like, oh man, what did I ask for? Like, <laughs> like what, what have I, what, what I have created a monster you know, and so I, I'm certainly at a at a place now where I, I do attend church. In fact, my pastor and I are are very close friends. I am privileged enough to be able to preach it at our church about once a quarter. And we're a, we're a startup church. It's been around about six years. About I guess about 500 people uh, regularly attend. Mm-hmm. And thing that I love most about my church is that it is very open and accepted between my relationship with my pastor. That we see a lot of things theologically different, and we don't always agree. And that's something in the church that I attend. This that's not only accepted but encouraged and applauded. And that's really the type of spiritual community that's. In, important to me that we're not all aligned. And that's kind of the point. What was the process like for you finding that safe place to be? Because so many people that I talk to uh, as a result of them listening to the podcast, they feel isolated and alone. They feel like they're drifting. They feel like everybody that they thought loved them has rejected them, and they don't know where to find a safe place to just be themselves. What was that process like for you? Man, it was realizing there's no such thing. There's not a there's not a safe place. That's the that's the point of exposing yourself. Is this not safe? It's scary. Yeah. It people hurt you. <laughs> like yep. people people are gonna disappoint you. And that's for me, that was the that was the first thing. Like when I realized, like, oh, they don't need to like throw confetti every time I walk in the room. Like there <laughs> are some people here that sh- that should look at me with the side eye and like that's that guy that believes that thing. And that's cool. And I, in fact, I, was, I, I, had a, I had a long coaching session with someone yesterday and we, we talked about this. And this is a person who has been deeply traumatized by, by their faith community. And we had to get to a point where we said, you know, maybe it's not that we need to be accepted. Maybe it's that we need to accept. Right. And maybe, maybe that church or that faith community needs someone like you there. Yeah. It, it's not... You know, the, the church is somewhere that you serve. It's not somewhere that you necessarily get served, even though that's something that's healthy and that happens. Sure. But gosh, for me, man, it's just, bro, it's just, it's just not safe. Exposing yourself is not safe. Yeah. Brad Jorzak said something on this podcast one time about, you know, us all looking for safety and at church and how when you get a bunch of broken people together, it's just not safe and it's not going to be safe. That maybe the best we can hope for is healthy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It sounds like you've got that because if you can openly disagree with the pastor and he still invites you to preach, man, that's way ahead of where I've come from. Isn't that special? It, yeah. That's one of the things that makes me just fills my heart up is that I have enough respect for him to not stand on his pulpit and say something that's absolutely going to break his congregation. <laughs> right? right. But also he knows that I'm going to say some stuff that people are going to have some questions about and he's going to have to deal with that. 
you know, one of the things that I'll add that I, that came out of my discussion yesterday about safety in, in, in their, in their spiritual family was the fact that when you think about the gospel and you think about experiencing the gospel, it's much easier to experience the gospel by doing than to experience the gospel by receiving. Because the gospel is something that is offensive to the ego. It's something that's hard. It's something that even in spiritual communities, sometimes we find lacking and non-existent. And so either we can choose to wait on someone to be the gospel to us so that we can experience the gospel, or we can go and do what Jesus said, which is, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that truth is an experiential truth. And so go do the gospel, go accept them first, go sit with them, even if they believe differently, or they think that you're crazy, or that you're an abomination, or that you're a heretic. That's how you experience the gospel by doing the gospel. And then that creates influence. So other people go, oh, maybe this way I've been doing it. Maybe there's an alternative perspective. And maybe maybe they will start knowing us by our fruit instead of us waiting to be accepted by people that may or may not ever accept us. Uh, as messy as that closet cleaning season of life can be, uh, often we come through it with some regrets. Do you have any regrets that you'd be willing to share today about that season of your life? Yes. I have plenty of things that I would buy back if I had the opportunity. One of, one of those, and I'll, I'll just give you a couple. One was just my ego and how when I felt like I found a truth, I felt like everyone should be on the same plane and the same speed as me. And so I would get frustrated at people that weren't there yet. And I would feel as though people that were ahead of me were perhaps a little bit bigoted. <laughs> and so it was like, unless you were compl- exactly in step with me, I sort of had a bit of a problem with it. And that's completely unfair and unfounded. And it's really a sign of, a, of emotional, relational, and spiritual immaturity. And I spent... I don't know, gosh, maybe a decade there. And so I would for sure, I would for sure take that back. I think the other thing is being so hard on people that believe what I used to believe. I'm getting, I'm getting much better, but I have to re- I have to remember that I've been given a, a real privilege in my coaching practice to be exposed to a lot of different people, a lot of different perspectives, a lot of lived experience that many people live their whole life and don't get the same don't get the same exposure that I get in 24 months. And so for me to expect people to have a perspective that I've been gifted to have is really immature and unfair. Another thing I would say that I would buy back was, was how I related my deconstruction and reconstruction to my family. Through my deconstruction, there was a lot of a lot of uncertainty, a lot of shame, a lot of I don't I don't know, a lot of oh my gosh, is is God going to get me because I'm changing my opinions of stuff? Am I going to hell? And because of that, I kept a lot of that from my family, and people didn't really know where where I was or what how I was processing things. And then when I when I kind of got to the bottom and started to track back up, I was really I could tend to be really dogmatic or zealous about new beliefs. And that wasn't always fair, particularly to people that are closest to me, like my wife, for instance, you know, I would make a, I would have a a, a change maybe spiritually or theologically or politically. And I would just change without really talking through it. And so it's like, okay, 
who are you again? <laughs> like, didn't you just believe this really strongly like 90 days ago? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I really, I w- I'm fortunate that I, I married a, a very understanding and caring and, uh, and, and woman that has been willing to stick with me through my, through my changes. There's this, there's this quote that I really love that goes, when you're married, every person is married to three people. And some, some of us are lucky enough for it to be the same person. And, you know, I look at my marriage and my I've really been married to two people. You know, my, my wife has had very little, little core changes in her life. She's very much the same woman that I met when we were in college. And so she's had some changes just because now she's a, you know, she's a mom two times over and she's, you know, she's, she's done her, her career thing and she's, you know, she's, she's matured uh, in a, in a bunch of different ways. And so, yeah, there's some changes, but for me, man, like I've changed every 24 months for 12 years, (laughs) 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 you know? And so it, it, I think it takes, it takes some, um, some patience. And so I think my, my biggest, I don't know that I'd say it's a regret it, but it's, it's definitely something I wish I would have done better, different. But then I look at that stuff and go, gosh, I, I wouldn't be able to coach as well if I hadn't bumped my head on some of that stuff. I think it's just a matter of perspective. And now it, now it serves me as much as um, I wish I would have changed it. Put your coaching hat on for a second. What advice do you give to somebody who has been through the chaos and devastation of deconstruction and they're looking to start rebuilding their faith? What's, what's the first thing they need to do? The first thing they need to do is stop listening to people, especially, especially coaches. <laughs> <laughs> so You're out to work yourself out of a job, aren't you? <laughs> well, that's, that's sort of the point. That's sort of the point is that, is that if, I, if I can help equip people to think on their own and, and then take small practical steps, because one of the things that I strongly believe is that action reveals answers. So I have a very much taste and see philosophy to my coaching. And so the first thing that I would do is I would say, let's, let's imagine a world where, when it didn't get, that it didn't get better. Let's just imagine a world where you stayed right here, what you believe, how you believe, and continue to, to act, react, and interact um, in that way. What would your future look like? Like they know. And then, you know, what if, what if you went back to where you've been? And then what would happen if you went, went forward? And let's let's imagine a couple of different potential realities, and and which one which one seems to be the best decision. And so, what's the first practical step that you must take in order to in order to start that momentum? Well, let's go do that, and let's talk again in a week. <laughs> like let's like let's do something. Let's make some observations, and then let's edit iterate from there. I, I think that that is, and that's very much how I how I live try. I don't, I'm not always great at it. That's very much how I try to live my life. That's good. That's probably the best answer I've ever heard to that question. What writers, speakers, or thinkers have been most influential in your own reconstruction? I I would say people, one of the most, I would say the most influential has been Richard Rohr. It's just been beautiful how he has helped me to have a different understanding about who God is, how God relates to us, who we are. Other people are other podcasts, for instance, people like the Liturgist podcasts that are that are willing to just talk about everything and anything, and they're not really afraid to talk about the things that would make Christians squeamish and bristle intellectuals. <laughs> and Rob Bell, but also you know outside people like people like Francis Chan, one of the one of the 
most scary, I guess, times for me in my reconstruction was I sat down and I, I read the book Erasing Hell by Francis Chan and Love Wins by Rob Bell at the same time, chapter to chapter. And another thing that helped me, I would say the thing that helped me more than anything was just like Wikipedia, like really just doing some research and asking myself, who were these people that were receiving this word for the first time? Who was writing it to them? And in what, what historical context? And the more I understood that, and you know, somebody that's really good at that is uh, Pete Enns from the Bible for Normal People. But man, Jason, I, I tell you this too. I, I and I, I say this, and a lot of people scratch their head. A lot of Christians scratch their head when I tell them this. But it's the non-Christians that have brought me closer to God. Wow, it's been studying Buddhism and talking to my Hindu friends and and breaking bread with my Muslim friends and asking questions and talking to the, the morally sound atheist friends that I have that have, you know, is stoicism because I, I took this position and this, this sort of is how my podcast started is I said, you know, truth somewhere should be truth anywhere. If I can't take something in my belief system and find it other places, then maybe I need to really question it hard. And so one of the tenets to, to my podcast when I started it was, I will affirm truth no matter where I find it. Because I, I do think that, that God and, and the Christ and the, the Holy Spirit, I do think that they are bigger than any belief system that we could conceivably have. And so I find evidence of that in my brothers and sisters that come from a different faith tradition in being like on the lake with my family, like going for a run, you know, it, it's, it hasn't always been intellectual for me because growing up in the church, the truth is, is I, I knew about all I needed to know about the Bible. What I really needed was lived experience relationships outside of my tradition. And just to stop and say, how can I better recognize the Christ in my day-to-day life? And when I can do that, then that brings me back to my tradition. That brings me back to Jesus. That brings me back to a more healthy and a more inclusive and a more connected and relational spiritual state. And that's really where I want to be. You mentioned your podcast. I love your podcast. I've heard a few episodes of it. I really enjoyed them. Uh, You've got such a passionate heart and a compassion for people who don't agree with you. You mentioned folks who uh, kind of live where you were and how you were too hard on them. But man, right now, you just seem to have such a tender heart towards folks in that situation uh, on your podcast. And so I'm I'm really grateful for your work. Can you tell us how you chose the name of your podcast? <laughs> so the name, um, I, I went back and forth on the name. And one of the reasons is as a kid, I always wanted to be a pastor. Like I can remember jumping on my mom's bed with my little Gideon New Testament Bible and watching Charles Stanley preach and thinking that was just the coolest thing. And like going to the Billy Graham crusade and thinking it was so friggin' cool to, 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 to preach about God. And, for, and so being, being really curious about the Bible, I always thought that that's what I was going to do. I've always felt a pull to ministry. And then I realized after falling into my coaching practice and my work with Dale Carnegie training that I had really accidentally fallen into this thing where I had an opportunity to help 
help people learn, grow, and develop and live healthier, more connected lives that the church oftentimes either didn't have access to or had lost the privilege to, sometimes by its own fault, sometimes by no fault of its own. And so I wanted to start a podcast where I could speak more deliberately and openly about spiritual things, but I wanted it to be clear that this was not a podcast about certainty and I wasn't telling you what to do. And this was more of a call for people to come along this journey with me and to not be a spectator of it or to use it as their theological system. <laughs> because I'm, I'm not a pastor, except for the fact that we're all pastors. And I thought it was fitting to call it, I'm not your pastor, because I'm going to talk about some things that your pastor might not admit, but probably still thinks about. And also I wanted to attract or, or be open to, or the podcast be open to attracting a diverse community of people that were church-going people that weren't, that used to be, and also people from other faiths. And I've, I've been very pleased and, um, and grateful to have people reach out to me that told me how heretical I was <laughs> and that told me how helpful I was and that told me that, you know, gosh, even, even though I'm a practicing Buddhist, I still enjoy the podcast. Or even though I'm, I don't consider myself a Christian anymore, this podcast is helpful to help me, help me process through and, or, or just like, or just people that would say things like, gosh, thank you for just talking about it. And, and that's really what it's for. And, and to be honest with you, some of it is just scratching my own itch. You know, this is, this is a process that I am walking this journey. It's not something that I have figured out. It's not a, it's not a systematic theology that I'm laying out. This is just, this is just where I am and how I am. And, and I hope that it gets, I hope that it gets progressively better. Not, not because the content's better, but because I'm aligning closer to the creator and the created. Beautiful. So what are you working on now? What can we look forward to coming up on the podcast and just from you in general? So I've started doing I've started doing more interviews. That's something that I really enjoy is having a conversation with people that that have unique perspectives on spiritual things. And it's been important to me that that our that the podcast explores spiritual topics, but also keeps intellectual integrity. And I don't think that that's always something that's true in faith circles. You know, I've, I've found that a lot of times what happens is in order to be a part of a faith tradition, you kind of have to shut down some of your mind and intellectually just like accept some stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or if you go the other way and decide to be maybe more philosophical and less spiritual, then, then you have to shut down a bit of your heart. And I believe in a, in a world, in a universe where that's not necessary. And so uh, we'll be doing more of that work and interviewing some people that, that aren't Christian <laughs> and that come from different traditions, because my goal is really aligning truth. I can remember something that was said even in, in my deeply fundamental church that I grew up in, which is all truth is God's truth. Now, what they meant by that was only things in the King James Version are true. I have a bit of a different definition, which is all truth is actually God's truth. And it can be said a different way from a different place in a different language, from a different perspective and a different tradition. And it's still true. And so those are the things that I'm hoping to expose because I think the more inclusive we become, the more understanding we have of each other, 
as humanity, the more the creation can understand each other, the better it can understand what created it. And it's my belief that inclusivity and connection and relationship only brings us closer to our creator, not the other way around. Love that. Uh, Well, I love your podcast. Uh, I hope you do it forever because I look forward to every episode. And I was actually on the the iTunes page for your podcast today, leaving you a five-star review, which I hope other listeners will do as well. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Tell us, tell our friends listening today how they can best engage with you and your work online. So you can, the best places and the place that I'm most active is Instagram at Doug Stewart 919. But you can also check out the podcast. I am not your pastor on pretty much any platform or the uh, the website, which is really more landing page-ish at IamNotYourPastor.com or DougStewart919.com. Those are, the, those are the primary places you can find me. Awesome. Man, I appreciate your time so much. Thank you for sharing with us today, and thank for the work you do. Jason, thank you, my friend. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.